And now I'll introduce today's program. Back in 1945, the Canadian Club of Toronto hosted then-Ontario Premier George Drew, whose speech was entitled, Ontario Looks Ahead. Premier Drew's government introduced some progressive labor and social laws, including a new labor code and the first anti-discrimination legislation in Canada. But governments in that day were just beginning to respond to the growing post-war immigration population. Toronto in 1945 was a city of about 650,000 people, mostly of British stock, and the audience for the Premier's speech that day, like the people who ran this city and country at that time, were mostly white businessmen. It's a very different city and a very different Canadian club today. It was 87 years before the Canadian club elected its first woman president. It was 92 years before it had its first president of ethnic background, a Jewish president. And it was exactly 100 years after the Canadian Club was first formed that Nalini Stewart, who is with us here today, broke both the gender and the color barriers in 1997 by becoming our first president of South Asian descent. I'm pleased and proud to say that today, the Canadian Club board, membership and audience are well on their way to becoming as diverse as the country itself. We are now, in fact, as well as in name, the Canadian Club. And so we are delighted today to host the partner launch of Diverse City, the Greater Toronto Leadership Project. Diverse City is a joint initiative of the Maytree Foundation and the Toronto City Summit Alliance. Maytree is a private charitable foundation that promotes equity and prosperity through its policies, program development, and grants. Ratna Ahmedbar is Maytree's president and a very active member of the city's and the province's civic leadership. She was the first executive director and founding chair of the Toronto Region Immigration Employment Council and sits on a number of boards and advisory bodies. She was appointed to the Order of Ontario in 2006 for her outstanding community service. David Pico is a senior partner at the Boston Consulting Group and a volunteer chair of the Toronto City Summit Alliance, which is a coalition of civic leaders dedicated to addressing the challenges facing Greater Toronto, among them the poor economic integration of immigrants. David is also known to many as the co-founder of Luminato, the international, international festival of arts and creativity that debuted two years ago, as well as the prime mover behind the Toronto Region Research Alliance, the Greening Greater Toronto Initiative, and many other programs of local and national significance. And I am proud to say that he is also my husband. <laughs> Ratna and David are joined by Cameron Bailey, co-director of the Toronto International Film Festival Group, who will moderate their discussion today. Cameron was born in London and lived in Barbados before immigrating to Toronto. He's been a film critic in print, radio and television, and was international programmer at TIFF before assuming his current role as co-director of the festival last year. I will now turn it over to our guests to engage and inform us about diversity. Welcome to all of you. You guys can sit there, that's great. 
Well, thank you very much, all of you, for turning out this afternoon to engage in a conversation about diversity and our great city of Toronto and the Toronto region. It's wonderful to look around this room and see the sea of faces of people who believe in the theme of what we're talking about today. I see politicians from all different parts of our city, and I'd like to recognize a few of you who are here. Her Worship Linda Jackson, Mayor Vaughan, Councillor Karen Stintz, Michael Thompson, also a councillor, Joe Mahavik, Councillor John Parker, and Councillor Adam Vaughan. I also see leaders from industry here, and I think the private sector is absolutely essential to what we're talking about today. It's not often you get a chance to sit at the head table with Gordon Nixon and Ed Clark, two of the great leaders of our financial institutions in the city, but I look around and I see all the other banks, Scotia, CIBC, National, uh, and the rest of our, of our great banking sector. Uh, represented uh, here today with Bank of Montreal uh, and our insurance companies. I see Krim Lalani at the head table from Whirlpool, one of our great 905 companies, as we like to think about. Rupert Duchesne over there from Aeroplan, uh, Sam Dubach from Edgestone Capital, and many others that I don't have time to mention. I also see the leadership in our nonprofit sector. Uh, just looking around the room, I can count right from here at least 10 or 15 CEOs of our major nonprofits, our universities like Sheldon Levy over there, our colleges, which are well represented by their leaders today. All of you in the nonprofit sector, the private sector, and the public sector are here because you do believe in the power, I think, of diversity. And so, what we're going to talk about today is how to unleash that power, how to take Toronto from a wonderful spirit of tolerance of diversity, a wonderful acceptance of diversity, to a much higher plane, a plane at which we embrace the full potential of what this city's diversity can bring to us and to the world. Now, my starting point this morning, before I get a chance to turn it over to Ratna, who's going to talk about the specifics, is really to answer the question of why. And the question of why in this particular case may not be as obvious as it might seem. It begins really with the power of collective action. The Toronto City Summit Alliance is a nonpartisan civic coalition that now has over 6,000 volunteers. Many, perhaps most of you in the room, have participated in its many, many projects. Collective action, when you can tap into that kind of volunteer leadership base, is extraordinarily powerful. And we've seen that in our city over the past several years as a number of initiatives, both City Summit Alliance and many other volunteer and civic initiatives have come to fruition. Your passion, your ideas, and your hard work make that possible. It is truly a collective spirit that motivates this city. We've seen it in the last six weeks. One of the efforts I've been privileged to be part of at the City Summit Alliance was an effort led by the City Summit Alliance Steering Committee, the Board of Trade, United Way, and many others to mobilize ideas from the city region for this federal budget. By the end of December, we had in front of Federal Ministers Baird and Flaherty and others a memo about infrastructure needs that reflected both municipal and nonprofit and college and university and other infrastructure in the city. A social housing initiative, work on greening our buildings and many other things. And I'm gratified to see already over the past several days as the budget slowly begins to leak out, some of those ideas echoed by many other cities across the country are coming to fruition. But today is about something perhaps more profound than economic stimulus, as important as that is. It's about the long-term vision that we in this city want to sign up for, about the civic project that can motivate us at the center of our civic lives. Now, where does this initiative come from? 
It started really with the City Summit Alliance in 2003, when a group of people came together around the notion that as the most immigrant-intensive city in the world, we should be able to do a much better job of building our economy and linking recently arrived immigrants to that economy. And so was born the Toronto Region Immigrant Employment Council, which many of you in the room have played leadership roles in. It has been a smashing success, although so much more remains to be done. But we're not here today to talk about the challenge and the opportunity of the most recently arrived immigrants. Instead, this initiative builds on those kinds of ideas and many others and sets the bar very high to say, how do we get the leadership of the greater Toronto region to reflect what the subway looks like, the composition of our city, and the talent that is sitting in this room and throughout this city that is waiting to be unleashed. Diverse city is about tapping that talent. And let me say right up front, Ratna and myself and the whole steering committee believe passionately that this is not just an exercise in social inclusion, as important as that is. It is about prosperity. It's about all of our economic futures. And if nothing else, I hope I persuade you this afternoon that that is as much a reason for doing this as any social justice issue, as important as those are. Pause for a moment for a little reflection on who we are. The greater Toronto area, five million people live here. One of the largest city regions in the developed world. And of course now the developed world is getting bigger, so perhaps we have to put a footnote on that. 44% of the five million people born in this city region are foreign born. Almost half. That is the largest number by far of any major city region in the world. Vancouver's 38. Sydney, Australia is 31. Los Angeles is 31. New York, the great, wonderful immigrant melting pot, is only 24%. We are twice as immigrant intensive as New York City and its surrounding region. Twice. We are unique in the world in this characteristic. We are also 40% visible minority in the GTA. South Asians, East Asians and Chinese, Latin Americans, people of African descent, people of Arab descent, and many, many others. 40% are visible minorities in this city region. Those numbers compare to Canadian numbers of 20% foreign-born and 16% visible minority. So while Canada is also an immigrant country, Toronto is dramatically more so an immigrant country filled with visible minorities. Over 100 languages, over 200 ethnic communities, and as we heard from Minister Chan, over 200 countries represented here. This incredible diversity enriches our lives and it powers the economy. In fact, we all know now that all net new growth in our labor force in this region will come from immigrants. If immigration stopped, the economy would not be able to progress. So we need people, but we do not just need people to come and take those entry-level and mid-level jobs. We need that diversity in our leadership. So the GTA is 40% visible minority and Canada is 16% visible minority. Keep those two numbers in mind. 40% here, 16% nationwide. What proportion of our public sector management in this country across all orders of government is visible minority? I'm talking about the leadership, the senior management jobs in the public sector. Less than 2%. What proportion of secondary school teachers are visible minorities? 5%. What proportion of judges? 4%. Police chiefs, 3%. Elected officials, less than 6%. Federal, private, 
sector companies regulated by the federal government, the only ones we have statistics on, 5% of their senior leadership are visible minorities. Some much higher than that, of course, and they are leaders in this. Lawyers in the country, 5%. 56% of our corporate boards in this country have no visible minorities on their board. And in the nonprofit sector, it's not actually that much better. In fact, it may not be better. We just don't have the statistics. In fact, by almost any measure, the United States of America, for whatever its strengths and weaknesses, has done better in getting visible minorities into positions of leadership. And of course, we've witnessed one of the most extraordinary examples of that in the last couple of weeks with the inauguration of the new President Barack Hussein Obama. So why does this matter? I mean, over time, I suspect this will change. Over time, it always has in most parts of the civilized, uh, developed world. The reason we need to accelerate this process, the reason that there is urgency today, is because of several factors. The first is, from a social inclusion point of view, it is extremely important that people who come from visible minority backgrounds look and see that the leadership of all the organizations they participate in is open to them, is potentially available to them, reflects their concerns. So that is a critical factor. Secondly, whether you're in the private sector, the nonprofit sector, or in government, your markets are filled with people from visible minority backgrounds. If you're looking at the domestic market and 40% is from visible minority backgrounds, how do you serve that market if your leaders in your organizations don't understand that market, don't at least have people around the table who come from those families and cultures? And internationally, as we are an export-dependent economy, we must increasingly be able to touch feel and understand the passions and concerns of people around the world. And we have the population and leadership base to do that better than anyone else. Thirdly, we need access to talent, not just now, but on an ongoing basis. And if we show the world that visible minorities and diversity are our passion in our leadership, then we will find talent coming to us from across the country, from across the continent, and from around the world. But even if you feel you agree with those things and your very bottom line focus, let me tell you, the research is in now. In the last seven or eight years, major studies have been done. The American Management Association looked at 1,000 U.S. companies and the conference board under leadership Van Golden summarized this research for us. They found that diverse firms with diverse leadership in their management teams outperform firms that don't have it. And even a little bit of management team diversity actually improves performance. You don't have to get to total representation of, of a diverse population. Rutgers and Iowa State University looked at 112 of the major corporate boards in the United States. Same finding on ethnic and gender diversity. But perhaps most profoundly for me, the book that we had auctioned off today, Scott Page, a systems analyst and economist, a brilliant man at the University of Michigan, has just finished three or four years of very in-depth work at looking at the mathematical models that predict corporate creativity, problem-solving success. And it turns out that cognitive diversity is absolutely critical to great, creative, successful problem solving, and identity diversity is dramatically correlated, not one for one, but dramatically correlated with cognitive diversity. In fact, he's been so radical in his book, and I suggest you all read it because it's pretty exciting and interesting reading. He's been so radical as to suggest that collective ability equals individual ability plus diversity, and that when you actually look at it in, in a very detailed way, diversity trumps ability. They've run lots of experiments in the last several years at the Santa Fe Institute and the University of Michigan. And when you take a group of average performers who are highly diverse in their cognitive perspectives and you put them up against the best in the field who come with a similar perspective, average ability with diversity outperforms 90% of the time the smartest people in the room who think alike. 
It's a very profound finding. Now, there are important conditions to when diversity is successful in leadership. You have to share common values and objectives. All of you in the room who are leaders have seen situations where you've had a diverse group of people around the table and you couldn't agree on what the end point was. And then the creativity's not gonna flow. But I can tell you, having lived here in Toronto as an immigrant myself since the 1980s, this city has a common set of values, a bedrock sense of what it means to belong to our society and how we care about each other and our success as a mutual group. And that, I think, is enough in which to make diversity flourish. I've seen it in my own life, at work, the Boston Consulting Group. 25% of our population of workers in North America are diverse, uh, visible minorities at the Boston Consulting Group, and we've seen it work in the workplace every single day, that different perspective, that different toolkit that someone brings because their upbringing, their background, whether they came from North Africa or South Asia, is different than what David Pico learned growing up in Sioux City or someone else across the table who grew up here in Toronto. Um, we've been very fortunate in seeing how that works at work, but I've seen it on boards. The United Way Board in Toronto is one of the most diverse boards in this country, and it is a spectacular success. Kudos to Francis Lankin, Bob Harding, the chair, and many of you in the room who serve on that and have served in the past. But part of its success is this incredible diversity around the table. I'm always thrilled at what people say that I didn't think of, that no one saw coming, that reflects another perspective. And we've seen it in the City Summit Alliance. Ratten and I participated uh, in the Income Security Task Force a couple of years ago that some of you were involved in. And Susan Piggott proposed, my co-chair on that, proposed a very radical idea. She said, I don't just want us to have ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, we've got to have income diversity and we've got to have it to reflect the full population of what we're studying. So five or six people were selected from a population, a kind of focus group at St. Christopher's House. All of them were on social assistance or the working poor. And they sat next to Don Drummond and Warren Justin and the other members of that group to debate what income security should look like in this country. And I'll tell you something, some of the most exciting and innovative proposals came from people in that group. And it was very moving for me. I remember one day, Warren, you were there perhaps, we were sitting at uh, Brookfield Place and one of these people from that focus group didn't show up. And he had told me he was coming, he always walked because he had no transportation, he was on social assistance and uh, he wasn't there. And afterwards we found out he'd been stopped in the lobby of Brookfield Place they said he looked like a homeless person and he wasn't allowed in the elevators. He didn't have a cell phone, he couldn't get to the meeting. He was one of our great contributors and still remains so today. Diversity works. We've seen the power of it, you feel it, the academics are telling us it works. What can it mean for us? It can mean the vision for what Toronto's contribution is to the world. We can have prosperity and we can also be a beacon for the world in how to make diversity work in our leadership, in our organizations and it can make us successful. It's also something I think that all of us have to find a way to work at at a very, very practical level. I'm so thrilled to see over 100 partners in this room, organizations who've already signed up for Diverse City, people who believe in the message. We're gonna sign up many, many more. I'm also thrilled to see our steering committee, which has put so much energy into getting us to this point. And it's now my very, very great privilege to turn this uh, podium over to Ratna Ahmedvar, who's gonna tell you the very practical ways that, as Minister Chan said, we're going to turn our diversity deficit into a huge diversity dividend. Thank you.
one has to fight against discrimination for short people too, all the time. Let me add my voice to David's in welcoming all of you to today's launch. But before I get started on my end of things, I want to, on your behalf, give tribute to this wonderful man, who, a son of Sioux City, Iowa, I believe, who has chosen to make Toronto his home. There's not an... There's no aspect of city life that David is not interested or active in, from infrastructure to income security, from arts and culture to science and research, from tourism to the green GTA retrofits, from skilled immigrants now to diversity in leadership. His efforts have created Luminato, the Toronto Area Research Council, the Green GTA Task Force, the Report on Income Security, TRIAC, and now diversity. What's amazing about David is his capacity to bring others around the table to work with him. And, and I think this audience is an expression of that uh, ability. He has the best Rolodex in town, one that I would die for, but I'm just grateful to be attached to it. Um, I don't think David ever sleeps because I get emails from him at 2 o'clock in the morning, at 6 o'clock in the morning. I think this is something that the president of the Canadian Club should look into. We have a very ambitious agenda over the next three years, but we also have a plan to help us get there. I want you to think, especially this audience on Bay Street, to think of our plan as our very own diversity stimulus package. Except, instead of letting you know the details of it in bits and pieces, we'll give you the full Monty today. Our plan is practical, practical, it is tangible, it is about action, results, and change. It has outcomes attached to it, and it will result in a significant injection of creativity into the leadership landscape of the city's region. In boardrooms, at the top level of our institutions, in Queen's Park, in Bay Street, and in our media. Our objective, accelerating prosperity through, diversify, through diversity, is ambitious. Our plan is, of course, ambitious too, and involves no less than eight different but complementary strategies but we will make it easy for you to engage in and get involved with us in a meaningful way. The first initiative is called Diversity Nexus, and it answers the question, if I am running an organization in this city region, how and where do I connect with excellent, diverse leaders? Nexus will fill that gap. It is a corporate leadership network connecting aspiring, diverse leaders to decision makers like you. We will identify leaders from a wide variety of backgrounds and sectors and create opportunities for you to meet them and so expand your connections. This initiative is a direct response to what we heard in our consultations with Toronto's diverse leaders, who advised us that it was necessary to create connections for them that were pan-Toronto, pan-ethnic, that crossed cultural boundaries and were not limited to any one group. We will use a simple salon-style speaker series to cement relationships. So if you're involved in this initiative, you, your diverse leaders, and your decision makers will enjoy constant exposure to the expanding pool of diverse leaders. By the end of this year, this year, yes, we will have connected at least 100 leadership candidates in this way. Over three years, Nexus will grow in strength and in numbers. We are delighted to announce today that the inaugural Nexus gathering will be hosted by Cisco. 
This is indeed wonderful news, and I certainly hope there are many others in the room who will be lining up to host the one after that. Our next project is called Diversity Fellows. This initiative answers the question, how do we find and support leaders to engage in city building? It focuses on a different kind of leader, an aspiring city builder who is deliberate about working with other leaders and across sectors instead of in a silo. We will work with approximately 25 leaders every year over the next three years who will be drawn from all walks of life in all sectors and will mirror most closely that Toronto of today that David talked about, the typical subway car. Their distinguishing fat feature will be their passion for action in building a prosperous city region. They will take part in an intensive leadership program which will give them the knowledge, skills, perspectives and connections to catalyze their leadership. They will learn firsthand how city builders at City Hall, in government, in Bay Street, at our universities and colleges, at the United Way and at the YMCA are all part of an intricate and complex web that make up a successful city. In addition, each participant will leave behind a legacy project as an expression of their leadership. One day soon, I hope that from this group we will be able to replace the, the older faces like me around the table of the Toronto City Summit Alliance. We have received over 150 applications already for 25 spots, so I know we have our work cut out for us in choosing 25. Our third initiative is called Diversity on Board. And this answers the question, where do I find competent, diverse leaders to sit on boards of public institutions and voluntary organizations? The good news is that we already have a lineup of qualified and screened candidates for you. We scout talent from the city's diverse populations and make a match with a governance or board position in the city region's many public agencies, boards, commissions, and voluntary agencies. In time, we hope to extend our work to the corporate sector, but as a beginning, we are not. We are focusing on our, our, uh, our initial focus of public and voluntary agencies. We've got a head start here. Many, some of you may know of this project as something we used to call ABCGTA. We have rebranded it, renamed it. We are reaching far. We hope to make one, we hope to make 500 appointments by 2010. We hope to reach 1,000 qualified candidates by 2010. We have a head start. We've already got approximately 600 individuals who have put themselves forward. And we have made close to 220 board appointments at institutions such as LCBO, the Ontario Science Centre, Seneca College, Richpoint Health, the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Civil and Civilian Commission on Police Services, the Pharmacy Council, Elizabeth Fry Society, and so on and so forth. In addition to talent scouting and matching, we also provide basic and advanced governance training if required. Our fourth initiative focuses on diversity in civic leadership. Here we turn our attention to the power and influence of politics, politicians, and their civic leadership. We will reinvigorate the political arena with new faces and new ideas. We will identify, train, and mentor over 100 individuals in the art of running for political office or managing a candidate's campaign. In a pilot phase that we launched last year, we worked with 30 candidates and future campaign managers. Each one of them selected a candidate to support in the last federal election and worked with him or her. A number have already declared themselves as candidates in, up, in the upcoming municipal election in 2010 or are working on getting their nomination papers 
filed and accepted to provincial and federal writings. This is, of course, a nonpartisan effort. We have attracted leaders from across the political landscape to act as mentors, coaches, and trainers, as well as professionals who work behind the scene. Our training faculty includes politicians, past and present, political strategists, polling organizations, communications experts, and so on and so forth. Over three years, we hope to have at least 100 leaders uh, ready, willing, able to run and in many ways, if not more than 100. Our fifth initiative focuses on the media, and it is called Diversity Voices. It answers the question, how can we amplify diverse voices in the media? Certainly, there's no absence of diverse voices on issues that are bread and butter to diversity, such as diversity, immigration, multiculturalism, and so on. But these voices are largely absent on the larger issues that concern them too, as Canadians and Torontonians, issues that many actually may well have expertise and something to say on, such as the economy, world trade, science and research, environment, and so forth. We will fill this void by creating a super Rolodex of contacts for the city, regions, media institutions, so that the next time a journalist wants a comment on relationships with the U.S. or infrastructure ideas or the economic stimulus, they have a source list to refer to them that is made up of more than the usual suspects. The city's top media institutions are extremely enthused about this, as are more than the 50 individuals who have signed up as the first lot. We, we know we can take this list to more than 300 plus. The CBC and the Toronto Star have already signed up to provide media relations expertise, and one early success was the featuring of a number of these candidates in the national the day after as a comment, as, as part of their coverage on uh, President Obama's election. Our sixth project is called Diversity Perspectives, and it will provide thought leadership. We know that true diversity does not simply mean changing faces around the table, but must go deeper and ultimately change our perspectives, behaviors, and attitudes. We only have to look south of the border at President Obama and his approach for some constructive ideas. He started his conversations on difficult subjects such as race and ethnicity with small groups of people to arrive at fresh and new perspectives and ways of thinking. Borrowing a bit from this strategy, Diversity Perspectives will be a dialogue series held in smallish groups that will enable us to surface new ideas on the systemic conditions that encourage or discourage diversity in leadership, as for instance, diversity in education, faith, and so on. Our first session will start with a discussion on the R word and will explore questions on racism. How can leaders fight racism? What is the best way to talk about it, given the discomfort around the word? And we will publish the results in a series of essays. Our seventh project, only two more to go, our seventh project called Diversity Advantage asks, how do we make the case so that others can join our movement and get involved? We will put out a number of substantive research pieces that capture case studies and help continue to make the business case. Our first publication, undertaken by the Conference Board of Canada, is available already, and I urge you to pick up a copy outside. One of the key findings of this report, thank you, Anne, for your leadership. Anne is a member of our steering committee, and has been incredibly supportive of this initiative from the word get-go. One of the key findings of this report was, the, was that diverse leadership in corporations and boards leads to improved financial results. These findings are, of course, from the U.S., but I think this audience will agree with me that we want to write our own story in Canada. 
And finally, in partnership with Ryerson's Diversity Institute, we will publish a progress report every year called Diversity Counts. This progress report will help us determine whether or not, how and where we are making progress or falling behind. We will measure leadership in public, private, voluntary, and electoral institutions. Who gets elected? Who sits on our public and voluntary boards? Whose faces we are seeing in the Globe and Mail appointments calendar? Who runs our cities in the GTA? Who are the top public servants at Queen's Park? And who is teaching our children? We will do this in a sustained manner every year for three years and at a given time because we know what gets measured, gets noted, and gets acted on. In this way, we will provide accountability not only to you, our partners, but to the city region. In summary then, we will create new networks of aspiring and existing leaders. We will infuse our public institutions of governance, politics, and media with new voices and new ideas. We will provide thought leadership by publishing uh, research and case studies. And finally, we will report out on the city's progress. Certainly an ambitious plan but one where each one of you and every organization can find their place. You can do so in many ways, and I put out a few ideas. It's not an either-or. I hope it's an and, and, and. You can participate in Nexus by nominating members to it or hosting an event. You can identify candidates for boards, but quite frankly, where we need your help is opening the doors to boardrooms. You can help us source diverse voices as media connections on a diverse set of issues. You can identify candidates who are interested in political leadership, or you can put yourselves forward as trainers. You can engage with diversity fellows as coaches and advisors. You can identify good practice in your own organization on diversity and leadership and help us document the Toronto story. And most importantly, you can start talking to your friends and colleagues about the fact and evidence base that connects prosperity, competitiveness, innovation, and creativity to diverse leadership. Over the next three years, with the leadership of our partners in this room today, we will introduce in this way at least 1,000 new and diverse leaders to leadership positions. We have a plan, as you can see. We have the people, David Pico, our steering committee, our partners, and a wonderful team of eight staff people who actually do a lot of the work. We have action, and we will have results with accountability associated with them. Now, I think it is over to Cameron Bailey, Associate Director of the Toronto International Film Festival, to ask all the burning questions that you may have. I should note that I, I, I believe that TIFF is one of the most successful institutions in our city region, partly because it is open to new ideas, new markets, and look at the prosperity it has created for our city. Thank you very much. Thank you, Radna. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to stay right here, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to try to take it back to first principles um, and the whole idea of diversity. Um, Minister Chan wished you all a happy Chinese New Year, and it makes me think immediately of where I was yesterday, which is uh, sitting down my Barbadian self to dinner with my Malaysian Chinese in-laws oh. and their friends and relatives from Scotland, Ireland, the Philippines, just another typical day in Toronto. <laughs> um, and I want to ask you, um, you know, what you mean when you say diversity and the diversity div dividend. The dividend in my case is just 
better food. But <laughs> when you talk about a diversity dividend, what do you have in mind? I think, I know, I don't think, I know we are talking about breakthrough ideas, creativity, and innovation that can propel us to prosperity. Food is great. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you that. But I think we absolutely need to uncover the talent that somehow or the other remains hidden or untapped in this whole uh, question. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's around problem solving. You know, empirically, we'll get better problem solving. We'll get more creative solutions. We'll get better perspectives. Our organizations will be better connected to those markets we talked about, to global markets. But I do think what you said about your family is also important, too. We also will find our lives become much richer. Uh, it doesn't mean that there won't be conflict or awkwardness or times when we are you know, saying the wrong thing because we just didn't know. But those are moments of learning and growth. Those are the moments when we're a little bit at risk every day and we actually grow as people. So uh, the food will be part of it, too. <laughs> and the in-laws. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned the average Toronto subway car in, in your comments, David, and I'm sure many of us have that kind of experience every day where we're mingling among many different kinds of people. They may even be around our, our uh, dinner tables at, at family occasions, but there is still a gulf between that and the boardrooms and the tables of power in, in this city. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about why that is and, and what bridges need to be built there? I, I think there are two primary reasons why that gap exists. One is networks, networks, networks. Who knows who knows who matters incredibly. Sometimes it matters even more than what you know. It's not right, but that's the way the world functions. And people may have deep networks within their communities or within their sectors, but they don't span uh, the whole uh, complexity of life in the city. And these networks come naturally to other people who've all gone to the same schools, who've all gone to the same summer camps, who eat the same kind of food, maybe. Uh, so I think what we want to do is, is sort of accelerate the net and collapse what would happen in Toronto over time, for sure. Because in a city as, as diverse as, as this city, in the next 20, 30, 40 years, you will see natural ways that people will rise to the top. We're just, David and I are just impatient. We don't think it's, it's, it's not wise for the city to wait for 30 or 40 years, and we're providing some artificial um, leverage points. Mm -hmm. I, I would add, Cameron, I know that the leadership of many of our private sector and public organizations, I mean, taking the time out to come today, be part of this, the passion they feel internally, they want to do this. So I think what we're focused on in an initiative like this is let's make it easier. Let's be thoughtful about the sort of non-natural interactions we can create, the interventions we can create that will accelerate that process. That's why Nexus is so exciting. We, we came up with the idea of Nexus because we were sitting around saying, you know, there's these wonderful salon series in Toronto, like Grano and things that are sort of small groups that get together. Why wouldn't we create one where the underlying purpose is to connect people who've never met each other before from diverse backgrounds? Still, there's a speaker or something to attract yeah. them, and that's what we sort of landed on. it. So it's these interventions, I think, that will accelerate the process. Um, right now, you outlined eight different initiatives that uh, are going to be underway uh, very soon. And could you just give us a few more concrete examples if, for the people in the room who have hiring and firing authority at a, at a corporation or an organization who can actually make things happen? What can people do? Well, they can very simply go on to the website, diversity.ca, .ca.com. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> .ca for sure. .ca for sure. Um, and they can pick any one of these initiatives and simply send us an email and say, I want to be a member of diversity 
or I want to put myself forward as a, as a potential candidate for a board position, or I know a board and I know the chairman and I, or the chairperson and I, there is an opening coming up, or hey, I have five people who should be involved in diversity voice. It's very simple, it's very practical. We do the heavy lifting, uh, but, and we've made it very, very easy for individuals and organizations to inject themselves into our efforts. I would also say you're all ambassadors here, yep. right? I mean, this is a wonderful vision that we're trying to articulate together. So go out and talk about this. Talk about those facts. I was shocked when I realized how little visible diverse leadership we had in the country. It just it didn't feel like Canada to me. I thought, that can't be possible. But it's reality, and we all, I think, want to change it for all the good reasons we talked about. So go out, talk about it, learn a bit of the data, have conversations at dinner with friends and say, what, what can we do to get engaged? I Just put your hand up. I mean, there's a dozen ways here to get involved, and they're all fairly low cost to you and incredibly high return if we do them together. Thank you. I've just been given the signal that, unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap up the conversation that quickly, and we didn't even get a chance to really start oh. talking about Barack Obama. Which uh, <laughs> <laughs> we could go on for about hours, I think. Allow me one last indulgence before sure. we wrap up. Um, you know, behind all of these kinds of things, there is a long and deep history. We didn't have time to go into it today. But I did want to pay tribute to one organization here, our partner in this, the Maytree Foundation. Alan Broadbent and his team there, and Ratna as the executive director, have... <laughs> they have been a spectacular force in this city. And, uh, and Ratna, you are, as I like to say, the ever-ready energizer bunny here because you are... You go nonstop, and, and you're both brilliantly insightful, wonderfully empathetic, and, and you never stop. And so you're a fantastic partner getting those emails and reading them at 2 in the morning. And I wonder what you're doing. But um, I also want to say, before we close, Cameron, that there are many people in this room who are already making this yes. possible. The steering committee has put long hours in this year structuring these ideas. Hundreds of volunteers have already stepped forward, corporate leaders today. I mean, I was thrilled that some of the CEOs we have here today changed their travel schedules to come because I think they felt this was so important. And finally, the staff and the team at Matri and the City Summit Alliance. And I hope many more of you will join us in this initiative. Thank you. And speak Thank to you, us David. if you have any other questions. David, Tito, Radha Omnivar, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'd now like to call on Nick Chambers, Vice President of the Canadian Club of Toronto, to thank our guests officially. Thank you, Helen. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you get when you bring together visionary business strategy, dedicated community leadership, and a host of Toronto's most respected city builders? Well, for one, you get humble. You also get Diverse City, a movement every resident of the Greater Toronto Area has reason to get excited about. As such, I am honoured to share the stage with Mr. David Pico, Ms. Radna Abnavar, and our skillful moderator, Mr. Cameron Daly. Diversity has been a hot topic for a long time, though it has taken a while for many of us to understand what it truly means and recognise the potential it holds for us all. It's hard to argue with American author Ann Wilson Schaaf when she says that difference challenges assumptions. Otherwise stated, differences challenge stereotypes, differences challenge complacency, differences open our eyes to possibilities, and so on. Ratna and David, thank you for caring enough about Toronto 
and the prosperity of its communities to form diverse city. And thank you for choosing the Canadian Club of Toronto as host for your partner launch. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in applauding our very honourable guests. Thank you, Nick. Thank you again to David, Ratna, and Cameron. And thank you all for joining us today. This program has been broadcast live on Rogers TV. And this meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>